Chapter 21 of the Next Gen Movement, and we are joined by Spartan Race's CEO and founder, Joe DeSena. In this chapter, we dive into mental toughness, resilience, and the huge, huge topic of purposeful suffering. Enjoy, y'all. Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons, and experiences of thought leaders within the community. With what started over 15 years ago as curiosity to lose weight while working on Wall Street by participating and hosting endurance races, to building one of the biggest global communities with millions of members who push their limits to embrace discomfort across an obstacle course, Joe DeSena certainly has, an, has built an empire in obstacle course racing and the world of purposeful suffering known as Spartan Race. Joe, who's the founder and CEO and New York Times bestselling author, and an absolute madman finishing 50-plus endurance events in one year, including several ultramarathons and Iron Triathlon, Ironman triathlons, is the next chapter of Next Gen Movement, where we'll deep dive and get under the hood on his mindset journey for our following to take away. So it's my, my pleasure and warm welcome to introduce the man himself. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, thanks Joe. I, I, thanks. Where, by the way, RJ, you're, you're in a car. It looks like you're in a trunk. No, nah, man, I'm not in a trunk. Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I'm in the airport. I'm catching a flight. I'm, I'm luckily I'm not in the trunk though. I know, uh, I know that that might be uh, commonplace from your old days in New York, but uh, I don't operate like that nowadays. <laughs> all right, all right. I just want to make sure you weren't stuffed in the trunk. No, 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 mate. I'll, I'll give you the SOS if I am. All right. Um, so, so Joe, I actually came, first came across you back in 2015, I think it was 2015, 2016. Um, yeah. I was reading a book called born to run. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's by yeah, yeah. Christopher McDougall. Chris. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I was reading into it and then it came across this, this race called Badwater, which you're obviously well aware of. And then yeah. I got real curious about it. And then it somehow led me onto an interview you had with Brian Rose and then the whole idea of the race kind of went away, dissipated. And I was just absolutely in awe with your mindset and what you had done, especially with those 50 races. And when you did the, that snow race, which is like, what's the one that I did a rod, but you did I did a rod. Yeah. 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 And it sounded fucking awesome to be honest. And then after knowing more about your story with how like your perspective and how you've changed that, it, it actually made me start ultra running. So I'd have to first of all, thank you for all that. Um, oh, you're welcome. And I, like, I guess my first question, shift, because in a world today where easy instant gratification, obviously the Spartan race mentality has helped you keep everything in check as well. But like, is there anything that you still do today to, you know what, to make yourself super grateful um, to keep everything alive? Because as long as we have food, shelves and water, we're all pretty good. Yeah. So, so uh, happiness is wanting what, what you have, right? So as long as you want what you have and you're not chasing something else, you're, you're pretty happy. And, and, and you nailed it. When you get to a place where you just want water, food and shelter, you really start to appreciate the abundance of things um, that we have. I, I call that um, changing your frame of reference, right? So when I was young, I had gone through a ton of employees at a very young age. Uh, every day, a, a person would ask me one day, and um, just kept burning through kids. Uh, and then I met uh, two, two guys from Poland. 
And these guys were tough and they outworked me and they didn't care about holidays. They didn't care about lunch. They didn't care about, they just wanted more hours. And I started thinking about it. This was before the walls came down. You guys are probably too young in Eastern Europe. They grew up in a, in a tough place. They had a different frame of reference, right? Like for them, uh, hard work was, was a whole other level. Like being on a truck with me and being fed lunch and breakfast and dinner and like we weren't, you know, in a, in a concentration camp, like it wasn't that bad. And so I started, I started playing with that concept in my mind. Like, like how do I change my frame of reference? Right. Cause if you could do that, then you really appreciate what you have. And so, um, so anyway, I do it on a I have a daily practice, right? A suffering practice, uh, adversity practice, just like people practice guitar or math or tennis. Um, and so I just suffer. Every day, I wake up earlier than I want to. I take a shower that's colder than I want it to be. I work out harder uh, than I want to. I work uh, in the office more than I want to. And um, as long as you're always stretching yourself uh, slightly out of your comfort zone, um, you when you retract, I, ca I carry a kettlebell. I carry a kettlebell specifically for this reason. You put the kettlebell down, hmm. and it's like um, I should walk my computer around to the front of the house. There's like... It's almost like a, uh, it's like a cemetery of kettlebells. They're just dropped everywhere. Some are rusted <laughs> because, because what happens is the airlines lose my kettlebells and then they find them a week later and they show up. And so I, in the interim, I bought a new one. But anyway, the point is um, to constantly keep yourself uncomfortable uh, so that you appreciate what you have. Um, because I think, you know, I've met with some Stanford professors and the number one thing driving us as human beings is um, trying to put, push away discomfort. Like that's our number one motivator. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And, and just think about your own life, your friends, your family. Uh, that's what we're all doing. We're just trying to avoid being uncomfortable. And I'm, and I'm saying, no, I want you to dive into the abyss, actually. I want you to, I want you to be uncomfortable because um, it's going to make every other moment that much more pleasurable does that make sense yeah totally yeah. totally and and joe um, i mean look at you look at you doing the podcast from the trunk clearly you get this <laughs> yeah i get it man i i get it i i wake up very early and i you know i'll do i'll point myself in the path of most resistance and what i love about your stuff i mean i never had language for it and tof had had introduced the concept of purposeful suffering to me and I just wanted to tell you that um, it's it really resonated with me because I have a history of, of addiction and for me I had to move through my addiction to transform and through that process what ended up happening to me was the process of getting sober was so hard but it was so character defining I started to look for what I call crucibles so creating hardship in my life intentionally so that I could kind of force that 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 growth now I never really had the language until I heard you talk about this concept of a purposeful suffering now a lot of people think I'm a masochist and I know they probably you're a masochist as well sometimes but I, I wanted to ask you why do you to, to frame it as purposeful suffering are you indicating that most of us 
are 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 suffering anyways but we need to find purpose and meaning in it in order to grow well a couple of things one is um one one is thanks for finding me because um now i know at least two people think i'm cool so this is good this is good i can't get my my wife and my family they they're not getting it but um no Uh, they, they, they never do, do they? It, it, no, they? I know it's crazy. They push me in the corner, but, but, but on the, this concept, look, there's 7 billion people on earth. Uh, a large percentage of them, they don't need this conversation. They've got really tough times to your point, right? You go, you go into some inner cities in, in India or in Africa, really tough places, uh, third world, third world and worse uh, yeah. countries and situations. They don't, they're just suffering. They're just having tough times. Like in those places, I would advocate that we get them a couch and, and we yeah, give them right. a break. Right. Yeah. But, but for, but for us in that, in that fan, I mean, I could tell even from the trunk you're in for the listeners that can't see this, uh, that looks like a Mercedes or something you're in. So you clearly are doing pretty well. It's a right? Volkswagen. And- I keep it dumbed down, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take that one. So, so, uh, my point is, we have it so good, right? Meals on demand. Yeah. Just think 100, 120 years ago, uh, if we were on like Lewis and Clark's expedition or, or just go through any of those uh, stories we've heard, um, Sir Edmund Hillary's uh, climb up Everest, right? In like torn leather boots. And yeah. You didn't, have, you didn't have any North Face gear back then. Yeah. I didn't have climbing poles, right? And so, so I think, I think, for us that have it so damn easy and we have so much abundance and we take it for granted, we just need to um, have some purposeful, some suffering that has a purpose to it. And the purpose is to just slap us in the face a little bit and say, hey, appreciate what you have. Stop complaining. Like the Wi-Fi doesn't work on the airplane. Are you really gonna complain to a stewardess? You gotta pay for an extra check bag. Is it that big? of a deal, right? And so we, we complain whether we do it um, verbally or, or just in our own mind and, and it's a waste of time. It's, it's actually ridiculous when you, when you actually think about it, right? And so that's the reason for that term, purposeful suffering. But, but for a large part of the world, they don't need it. But we need it, three of us need it. I, I think that what I'm hearing is, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think that you understand that concept very well. I think it, it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation because I talk to, to many people about the concept of you know in the Western world we have so many uh, debilitating illnesses like depression and bipolar and all these wonderful ailments and sometimes I wonder if it's just a first world issue. You know, if- I think I, I believe 100% in most of those cases. I remember, again, going back uh, 40 years when I had my first business and those kids were quitting on me. Um, I remember one, one kid I was working was like depressed. And I was like, depressed? Who the fuck has time to be depressed? I got work to do. <laughs> and and, and uh, I, I literally, that, that's, that, that was the sentence that played in my mind. Like, like, oh, and so I immediately did what you just said, which was I... I I, I connected depression in most cases. Obviously, there are people that just have mm-hmm. um, a different situation going on in their mind. But, but in most cases, I think it's just a lack of, of purpose mm-hmm. and, and activity. 
And, and so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that, um, by the way, I've been in some really rugged places where folks don't have food uh, like we do, that don't have cars, that don't have the abundance we have. They're pretty friggin' happy people. Mm. They're just grateful for what they have. Like it's just yeah. Well, think about think about it, right? If you're down here, if we were charting it, if you're down here every day, everything is looking up. But if you're up here, everything is looking down, Mm. right? And so, you know, you go and you go back to the Greek philosophers. They would, um, uh, especially the Stoics, they would talk about this idea that, that had abundance. They would talk about this idea of just living like a bum, you know, one night a week, one, one night a month, sleeping out on the street, just to appreciate what they had. Yeah. I think with the whole, I, I was thinking about this the other day, that I think purposeful suffering is growth. Purposeless suffering is masochism. Because there you go. I like that. I like that. Well, I'm naturally a masochist because I beat myself up. Um, but like, I think that's why I like doing the endurance events too, because there's actually something that is going towards as long as I have that mindset. Um, something I'm, you just mentioned on there, Joe, like I've done treks all over the place and runs and whatnot. And I remember there was one in, um, there was one in Nepal in particular and one in Papua New Guinea in the Kokoda trail there. The littlest kids, they're just so happy that foreigners are around and they're cutting, they've got machetes in their hands cause they've got to cut grass. Um, but it's, I don't know, it, it was just something else I've never seen before. Different culture, different mindset. But to see how happy they were to see foreigners come in when they had fucking nothing. Oh, it, uh, listen, listen, the three of us are sitting here talking about how these achievements are so badass and this and that. And we're hanging our medals and have a little race resume. It's ridiculous. When I think back to those situations like you just described, where some, some young kids at two in the morning with machetes, would grab my bike, one hand with the bike, the other hand with the machete, with no shoes on, and for 15 plus miles, cut a trail while I, while I was you know, dehydrated with all my gear, my backpack, <laughs> and sat phone, and everything I needed. Like, come on, give me a break. Yeah. Right? Speaking of like different cultures, I know uh, you're big on, I don't know if you still do it, but you had like a, like a, um, like a monk or a Kung Fu master living with you, with your family. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you still have like, do you still have that? I do. It puts a lot of tension on, um, on things. How the hell did that come about? Like, you know what happened? I saw the movie Kill Bill. True yeah. story. And, um, and I really liked when Uma Thurman uh, had to train going up and down those stairs carrying water. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a Kung Fu master living with us? And my wife was game. And uh, we were living on a farm. So it was a, it was a good setting to kind of sneak in a Kung Fu master from China. And so we did. And, uh, and he would wake the kids up every morning and he would train them again at night. He would, they would do two a days. And they got really flexible. They they start they speak Mandarin now, so it was awesome. I only switched. We only switched to uh, wrestling because uh, during that journey, I had never we never had children before, and and during Spartan's journey, I got the pleasure uh, and and um, of, of meeting tons of uh, Navy SEALs, Rangers, Delta Force, etc. And in those meetings, uh, along with MMA fighters. Almost every one of them said, we're not looking for swimmers. We're not looking for uh, 
scholars. We're looking for wrestlers. And I, and I was not a wrestler, so I was intrigued as to why I kept hearing this over and over. And um, wrestlers just have an incredible mindset um, when they grow up in that sport because not that they should, but they're cutting weight. They're training like nobody's business. Um, and then it's one-on-one. -on -one. There's no complaining about, well, you know, it was bad weather. My teammates screwed up. The ref, this and that. No, you lost. You got your ass yeah. kicked. You were in tights. Yeah. Everybody laughed. <laughs> just, just, just deal with it. So, um, so anyway, I, I became really good friends with a bunch of uh, Olympic wrestlers. And so the two, two rooms over from this conversation right now, we've got one um, that is going to be training the boys. Uh, I'll get you a video if you want. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, I'll get you a video of them training. They were training hard. Uh, just yesterday, we were carrying bricks five miles around the neighborhood. Kids were carrying bricks wow. as part of the uh, training. Yeah, Mate, you're one of the most badass kids ever because, like, as you're probably aware of, kids are so susceptible. They just pick up everything. And with the man, like, I think I heard in a podcast a while back, you, uh, your oldest boy, and he's still, like, in his early teens, or he might be still in single digits. He ran a marathon. He's ran a 50K race. He ran a 50K, yeah. He ran a 50K. The great story about him. Here, come here, Jack. Say hello. Jack just walked in. Just say hello. Two seconds. Say hi. Hey, Jack. How are you? How's it going, man? Hang on. I'm going to unplug. Um, hang on. Can you guys hear? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, loud and clear. All right, Jack. They are asking about the 50K. I believe you were eight. Mm -hmm. And they want to know why you did it. He made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> you made him do it. You that answer. Are you happy you did it? Yeah, I guess so. What, what do you mean you guess? Oh. You don't know? You a little nervous? I have to go pee. Hey, so. <laughs> Joe, was he the kid that didn't eat out of the cookie jar? The delayed gratification yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah, he was the delayed gratification kid. Yeah. Man, and I got I to I, I, I tell you, I really... I don't have a lot of people in my life that I really look up to anymore. I try to be my own hero, as David Goggins says, but the, the way that you look at parenting really resonates with me. And it's that, that whole delayed gratification piece is something that I've been thinking about for a long time because it was such a part of my story. I was the kid that would eat the cookie always. And I know that was a really big issue in my life, learning to think and, and have foresight and see down the road. And that piece when you were on London Real and you were talking about how you exposed your, your son to delayed gratification really resonated with me. Can I ask you, um, with your kids, do you, what's your philosophy in, in respect to how you raise them well, it's funny. It's funny you should ask because uh, we're on, we're putting the finishing touches on a on a Spartan Spartan parenting book, and uh, I'd love for you guys to read um, the rough the rough drafts and, and give me your feedback um, because I think a lot of people that yeah a lot of people that look at the book. Anything else you want to say to these guys? Are you good? Yeah. They were impressed on uh, you not eating the uh, taking the ice cream. Remember when you did the test? Remember we tested you with. Um, yeah, and you said, Dad, when can I get 15 scoops? On the parenting book, I think there's going to be um, a lot of pushback because it's pretty hardcore. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's hardcore relative, like we said, to those third world countries or relative to 100 years ago. 
but it's very hardcore to today's society. And so people's instinct right away when they look at this um, rough draft is that I'm a crazy person. But I, I'm not even close to crazy. Like, I think about in Vermont, we're not in Vermont now, we're in Boston, but in, when we lived in Vermont on the farm, I heard of a great story, uh, early 1900s, uh, father and son, son's like 11 years old, they take their horse or horses, they travel from Connecticut to Vermont, 150 miles through, through a snowstorm, they get to their piece of land, which they're going to clear and get ready for when the family comes in the spring. Two days into it, when they get to the land and they start clearing, the dad dies. Tree falls on him, kills him. The kid makes his way the 150 miles through the snowstorm, you know, pre-teens, by himself. Like, sounds a lot harder than uh, me asking a kid to do burpees. Mm. Going to run a 50K where we had bacon every five miles and, yeah. and food, fingertips, and, and uh, all kinds of support staff, right? Like, is it really that hard? I had a woman... This stuff really frustrates me. I had a woman a week ago. I had the kids carrying kettlebells around the neighborhood. We were carrying kettlebells and weight vests and stuff, them and their friends. And I had a woman pull up and say, um, are you a coach? <laughs> yeah, I'm a coach. I've seen you walking for at least a half a mile. Those kids don't have water. It's a warm day out. Ma'am, I'm okay. I don't want to be disrespectful, but we it started to go on and on. And then she drove away and then she brought back water and... It was kind of her to look out for the kids, but it was almost like I wanted to say, um, you should go knock on everybody's door and find out why the kids haven't been outside for years. Yeah, right. I haven't seen anybody outside. It almost was, not, not to be uh, ridiculous here, but it was almost to a point where no one has seen kids outside. Mm. So when they saw us walking and carrying stuff, it was, um, it was bizarre. Yeah, right. My wife's closing the door because she's like, there goes my husband, the crazy person. Hang on. It's, it's funny how you mentioned the um the race with like bacon. I the 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 race with like bacon every five miles. I did a um half Ironman on the weekend, and the bike leg. You don't even have to get off the bike because they've just yeah. got bars ready for you. Everything's ready for you. Is it really that tough? Is it really that tough? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have to get off the bike. It was great. <laughs> so does your does your wife and everyone around you think you're crazy or extreme? Like because. Because my, my wife, my, she's pretty cruisy and, and I think she knows why I do what I do. And, and a lot of it is for my son. I want him to watch me do hard things. I don't want to have to give him a sermon. I want to show him a sermon. And he's already two and he runs and he wants to run all the time. And you know, he's obsessed with everything that I do. And I, I think it's fantastic. But sometimes I think those around me, in particular my wife, just think I'm a crazy person. How was that for you in, in just managing your household? And has that been an issue for you ever? Uh, there are very few moments where it's not an issue. It's all day, every day. It's an issue with neighbors. It's an issue with family, everybody. Right. I, I am the outlier. But what I keep thinking about is my mother was that in our family. My mother was the crazy person. She pushed, she introduced my sister and I to a 3,100 mile run when we were kids. I, I didn't do the, the run, but just seeing people uh, run for 60 days yeah. straight. Shri Chong, Shri Chong. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, 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 um, and, and meditating for 30 days and, and fasting and um, vegetarian, even though it doesn't seem crazy now, it was so extreme in the early 70s. And so 
she, she held her ground. You're going to bed early. You're not staying up late. Whereas my dad and even the three of us, the instinct is, ah, it's a Friday. It's a Thursday. It's a birthday. It's this, it's that. My mother took, my mother took no prisoners. She, and she didn't care. I hated her. My sister hated her. She did not care. And then when you're 30, 30 years old, you're like, you know what? Everything she said was right. Now, now from seven to 30, fuck, right? But when I was 30, everything she said was right. Everything. Mm-hmm. There was nothing, nothing that she was wrong about. But, but she held her ground. And it means a lot of fighting and a lot of battling. And, and, but, but if you're doing it for the right reason, you really believe it. You know, you don't, who wants to settle? I don't want to settle. I see it. I see it. We have four children. By the time you get to the fourth, mm-hmm. the first one, you're describing at two years old right now in your life, it's easy to keep you yeah. know, a, a program in place. When you get to the fourth, it's like, oh man, I'm fighting everybody. Now I got four of them I'm fighting and trying to wrangle. And, 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 and the fourth one, some stuff is slipping through. I see it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered the question well, but. You, but, did, uh, you did, Joe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I guess, and, and it's probably a question that would dovetail in, in, into a lot of other personal questions, but you're, you've got this energy and you've got this level of output and you're trying to manage raising kids developing human beings that are going to have an impact, but you're also trying to manage your own energy and all the shit you're doing as well. And for me, I find it's, it's a, it's, it's a challenge and, and you've done, you're, you know, you got four of them. <laughs> and so I guess, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to do, if you guys are up for it. Um, uh, a week ago I had some, I, I, every once in a while I have a camera person sleep over. Yeah, and, and, and you see, and you see what goes on here at 5am where I'm, I'm trying to get my workout in to your point. Yeah. And then I got to wake them up and then I got to try to motivate them and put a structure together where they're actually going to follow it. And then I, the wrestling coach is in the garage and <laughs> it was complete mass mayhem and it's got to all get done. And then I want to get a little bit of math and Mandarin done and breakfast has got to be made. And, and then I got to get to work. I got to be there before everybody. And I got to do my conference call. And anyway, we filmed the whole thing and it was interesting because the first day was a complete disaster. Like nobody listened. It was a nightmare. I was frustrated the whole. And then the second day we got our shit together. And, and, and so I'll, I, you got to remind me, I'll get you that video when it's edited. Yeah. And, yeah, and, um, yeah. You'll see what it's to your point. It's, it's, it's pretty hard, but, but yeah, you could um, settle no. and, and then, and then everything is um, like mayonnaise, right. Or, or you go for it. You just don't give up and, and, I haven't given up yet. No. Is, is that the thought you have to prevent yourself from going, going through burnouts? Because I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, always 100 miles per hour, you've done a lot of things. Is mm-hmm. there ever a time where that, that, the juxtaposition, you could say that contrast of, do I really need a break right now to prevent myself from burning out? Or do you every, just- Every fucking day, every fucking day, all yep. day, I'd be lying to you and everybody would be lying to you if, they, if you interviewed them or spoke to them and they said anything different as <clears throat> you could imagine. I mean, there's people knock on our door all day long would buy this company in two seconds, amazing brand Spartan. And my life could be very easy. I was retired before this thing even happened. Right. And, and what goes through my mind is would I be letting everybody down? Like who is doing this? Mm-hmm. Nobody's doing this work. Mm-hmm. Like it would be so much easier to sell handbags and cotton candy. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was- but no one's doing this work. I mean, look at, I don't know if you guys remember the name Jack LaLanne, 
but you, sh- you yes. should get, um, yeah, Lala is his um, surviving uh, widow. She's 92. She'll still knock out 20 push-ups in front of you. And he, I mean, he made me look like Mickey Mouse. I mean, he- Was he a boxer? He wasn't a boxer. He was just fitness nut, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. On his like 74th birthday, handcuffs himself, shackles himself and pulls, don't quote me, but like four or five boats in San Francisco Bay by himself in freezing cold. The guy was unbelievable. Um, So he was the first one that was pushing this grit and resilience and fitness and eat healthy. in, in, in a real public way, he was the first one doing it, and, and he never, he never quit till he till he died. So yeah, every day's tough. Every day I want to quit, but um, but you don't, you don't. That's you know, yeah, because you're trying to you want because no one else is doing it, and it's, no one else is doing it. Yeah, right. And and then I get frustrated. My kids show me these YouTubers that make four or five million dollars, yeah, doing the stupidest shit. And I'm yeah. like, I, I'm, a, I'm the only idiot doing like, fuck, we make money the hard way here. You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting one because uh, I heard Gary V talk about it on a video about, hey, don't knock your kids playing video games because they could become millionaires. But like, if we wanted to become millionaires, we can go, we can all go import cocaine. I mean, the ends don't just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, there's got to be some. Yeah some purpose behind why you're doing shit it's not all about the dollar right yeah i agree with you i think about that as well i mean they listen they should have some skills because i could barely turn a computer on but and actually in the book you'll see in in, in the rough rough uh, edit of this book um i talk about uh there probably should be some screen time because you got to have some skills in that area but this summer we took the phones by and large we took the phones away from the four kids completely i don't even think they should have phones to begin with and um, at this age, and they uh, they engage. They're looking you in the eyes. They're a completely different kid. Yeah. You want to come over and say hello? This is my this is my other son. We haven't done the ice cream test on him yet. No. Say hello. Hello. How's it going, man? This is, this is Charlie. Hey, Charlie. I'll tell you, let me tell you. Let me tell you Charlie's big story. You ready for this? Yeah. You got to remember to get you this video. So this knucklehead was dying for an Xbox. Right? Mm. He wanted an Xbox, and I obviously don't want to get him an Xbox. So for about a year and a half, I want an Xbox. I'll do this. I want an Xbox. I'll do. This. I said, well, if you win this wrestling match, if you uh, run down the street another three minutes, and I would give him challenges. There was no way, no way he was going to do them because I don't want to get him an Xbox. <laughs> so this summer, <laughs> this summer, he says, I'll go in the garage and I'll do the continuous rope. So in the garage, I have this continuous rope on a pulley. It's got an odometer. It tracks how far you go. Anyway. Uh, Charlie says, what do I have to do? I said, you got to do 25,000 feet and you have eight hours to do it, which would be impossible for him because I, I, when I do, you know, 3000 feet, it takes me, uh, 40 minutes and that, not that I'm killing myself to do it, but there's just no way that he's going to yeah. be able to do, which is good. I want him to go as hard as he can, but I don't want the Xbox. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, about an hour or two into it, he's still feeling good and he's smiling and now his cousins and his brother and sister go to the beach and he's still in the garage pulling the rope. Now his hands start to like blister up. So he needs to put on uh, lacrosse gloves because right. He's pouring sweat. And now, now about six hours in, he's still going, you got to hand it to him. Yeah. He says, dad, I'm going to need an extra hour. No, you're not getting an extra hour. I need an extra half hour. And he continues to try to negotiate with me. And my answer was no, Charlie, in the Olympics, they don't move the finish line closer no. because worked hard. No, you either do it or you don't. Anyway, 
There's about 15 minutes left, seven hours and 45 minutes into it. I, I got a little, little tiny clip of video I got to show you. My wife comes in, you got to help him. This is not fair. No, we're not helping him. He either does it or he doesn't. And there was no way he was going to make it. Well, sure enough, this knucklehead sitting next to me, seven hours, 59 minutes, 45 seconds. He got 25,000 feet done. Wow. So now, unfortunately, there is an Xbox about Oh, 10 no. No, and he won't buy you any games for the Xbox either. It's just an Xbox with no games. He said, he said, I won't buy you any games for the Xbox. You know, you guys know me pretty well. <laughs> now he's, he's going to have to tow another 25,000 feet to get one video game. No, when I got the Xbox, um, there was, when I got the Xbox, there, it came with a few games. Okay. Few okay. okay. Yeah. And, I don't, but here we don't know the Wi-Fi password, so it doesn't really work. Doesn't really work, which is perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I might spill a whole gallon of water on it by accident. I'll see you later. Go do your homework. Anyway. It's like the Sioux Indians. You probably know the story, Joe, of like the Native Americans back in the day. They, they used to cut, when it was like blistering cold in, in one of the Dakotas, they would cut holes into the ice and they would put their, they would wash their kids in there. And people were like, are you guys absolutely nuts? And they're like, no, we're teaching our kids courage at such a young I age. It. I love it. They're looking at the Sioux Indians when they would put their kids into an yeah. the early, early age. Like, there's still, there are still places in, in the world that they take um, uh, very, very young children and put them in ice cold water. So, um, but when we're, when we're kids, we're losing it now. When we're kids, we have a layer of brown fat on us. So we're, it would make sense because we're animals that we could actually withstand those temperatures. But we lose it because we're in temperature controlled environments now. We got hot showers, we got blankets, air conditioners, right? So we don't need that, that layer of protection. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. The, um, yeah. With, um, you mentioned before, like you, with how you're doing it because no one else is doing it. And for, even for myself, I've done a ton of Spartan races and they're awesome. Yeah. And I like them more than any of the obstacle course races. And I'm not trying to yeah. suck up anything because of the burpee element. It's like, yeah. you have to get it. Funnily enough, I do really well in the spear throw every time. <laughs> it's hilarious. Well, that's why, that's why you do really well in the spear throw. Um, how, like, I would love to know, is there one case study or a story that comes to mind because of someone that never embraced fitness or never embraced purpose. Oh my God. I got, I got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of stories that, that yeah, I'm sure there is out of like five, six million. Is there anything yeah. that comes to mind of like a story with well, like Chris, Chris Davis. I mean, he was 696 pounds. He shows up to a Spartan sprint, takes him like seven hours to get across the finish line. I hear about him. I call him up. I said, listen, I want you to move to the farm. I said, find out from your employer. I think he was working for Comcast at the time. They let him go. And I think over an 18, 20 month period, we got him down to 260 pounds wow. from 696. He was eating eight egg McMuffins and two, two liter Sprites every day, which is what got him to where he got to. And um, it was funny because when we were, we, I was really, uh, really putting pressure on him. I had him doing 10 miles every morning, carrying a sandbag 10 miles later in the day. He was only on raw fruits and vegetables. He was losing some days two and three pounds every day. And one day he turned to me and he got in a, we almost got, went to blows. And he said, I need to go to a doctor. You're not a doctor. I need to get my liver levels checked. And I said, what do you need to get your liver level checked? I'm only eating fruits and vegetables. And I said, you stupid motherfucker. 
you ate eight egg McMuffins and two two-liter Sprites, how often did you get your liver levels checked? Now, now that you're on carrots and fucking celery and drinking water, you need like that's how that's how crazy we get as human beings, right? We start to believe um, this pseudo ridiculous consumer mm. uh, set of information about like yeah, like everybody said, well, where are you going to get your protein? I don't know yeah, of many right. cases where people have a protein deficiency. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? But it just, it just so happens that if you put 20 grams of protein on anything, people buy more of it. You know, Joe, it's funny. One of the things that you've also mentioned that really resonates with me is your, your kind of naturalist mentality when you do ultras. Uh, I struggle to take gels. I've got a, a running coach that really – pushes me to 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 take gels more so because of efficiency but i just find that the shit makes me sick to be yeah. honest with you and I, I i don't really feel like you need it i've never really felt a surge of energy or anything from anything artificial during a race so you know i did a, i did an ultra recently on um on uh, avocado oil and almonds. Right. there and you I did go great i did great You've been I mean, i'm sorry yeah, yeah. I, I, when I say I did great, I am not fast by any means. I didn't break any records, but I got done the 50 miles and I yeah. got done in the time I needed to. And for me, that's great. And I was not starving. Yeah. Um, so that's perfect for me. Yeah. You know, I have a 50 miler on Saturday and I'm not going to be taking any gels. I prefer food, um, slow release, but it's sustainable. I find the gels just make me sick. We're in agreement. Wait till you see our hydration product. In about two, two months, I got a product that's uh, right. super, super awesome. You're gonna love. You'll be the first. You guys be the first ones to uh, to get it. Awesome, man. Yeah. Before before we ask uh, the last question, Joe, that we ask every one of our guests, um, just want to acknowledge you. Um, thank you for like on behalf of um, RJ and I and the Next Gen Movement. Like, thank you so much for everything you do. Like. Um, thanks for ha thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for uh, bearing with my kids running out of the room and, right. and everything. We can edit this stuff. It's it's okay. We no, leave it I in like there. it. Leave it in there. Right. Makes it better. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you, you just brought so much wisdom to RJ and myself. With especially with, I know how you've gone back to Cornell University four times, and for that grit and persistence for you to do that, to come out with today with all the knowledge you have, that just shows the kind of person you are. So I really appreciate who you are. Thank you, sir. Um, now, do you would like to give you like 30 seconds to plug anything you want? Is there any sort of, I know you've got a lot of books, you've got, um, you've got a anybody, lot of any, yeah, out anybody out there, uh, where are you physically located, by the way? So we're in Australia. In Australia, is most of your audience in Australia? Uh, Australia and America, would you yeah. say? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say, um, tough for me to do in Australia. Um, but in, if you're listening and you're from the U S send me an email, Joe at Spartan.com and just, and just mention, um, I want you to mention that RJ in the subject line, I was going to say RJ was in the trunk and I'll give you a free race entry. How's that? <laughs> There's actually a Spartan race here in Goldie. Um, can, I can't, I, I, you I can't can do it in that. Australia. Yeah. You can email that to Joe that RJ was in a trunk toe. I'll give you a free entry. <laughs> all good, all good. So, so Joe, look, we always ask every guest this one question, and we're going to put this question to you, right? So does any one piece of game-changing advice that you can impart to the next generation of 
you know, the world and the people within it, what would that be? So one bit of advice, one thing, mm -hmm. right? I'm going to make it two. I apologize. I can't get it down to one. Man. You can do that. <laughs> three. It's three things. Three things. If you do these three things, game changer for yourself, game changer right. for your family, game changer for the world. One, want what you have. Gratitude. It's an important sense. Just want what you have. Number two is work out every single morning, seven days a week. And, and when I say work out, you got to sweat every single morning. I don't care how early you have to wake up to do it. You have to do it. You got to start the engine. And three, take a cold shower. You do those three things. You want what you have. You take a cold shower. You work out every single morning. This world would be a different place. Mm, incredible. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. I really, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, man. Like, let this guy out of the trunk. <laughs> I'm, about to jump out to, I'm about to jump into an airplane. <laughs> See out of the trunk onto the airplane. Take care, Joe. Right. Take care, man. Hey, good luck with your 50. See ya. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. See you, bye. Bye-bye. We really hope that you enjoyed chapter 21 of the Next Gen Movement with Joe DeSena. The key takeaway in this chapter is given the comforts of everyday life, we need to actively seek hardship to stay sharp and on top of our game. Please do check us out at Next Gen Movement. That's N-X-T-G-E-N-M-V-M-T at YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or Anchor. And tell us how you feel. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you love on this chapter or any other chapter. Take care, y'all.